0: Please do not let the worry of COVID-19 cause delay in seeking out treatment if you are experiencing a heart attack or stroke. Every minute treatment is delayed can be fatal. Thank you.
1: Thank you for tuning in to the Future of Health on Dash Radio during this coronavirus pandemic. We're lucky to have many experts around our COVID-19 topic and many guest hosts. Remember to visit coronavirus.providence.org for more information. Well, hello. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. My name is Allie Himes, and I'm the senior manager of Communications for Providence Healthcare here in Spokane, Washington. Thank you for joining our conversation. It's a very important one. Um, But before we begin, I want to remind you that the information provided during this event is for uh, informational purposes only. If you have any medical questions, please reach out to your primary care or healthcare professional. With that, we can go ahead and begin. We have two really, really great speakers today. Uh, we have Katherine Anderson, a family therapist, and we also have Dr. Kevin Hyde, a psychologist, uh, joining me today. Thank you so much both for making time uh, to talk with us. Um, welcome, absolutely. Us started, yeah, to get us started, I just want, we would like to set the tone on um, who you are and uh, what it is you do. So Katherine, would you like to go ahead and get us started?
0: Sure. So I am, my official title is the mental health educator within the family therapy team here at Providence, which essentially means I go around to any medical unit or psychiatric unit that asks for my support and provide things like consultation, debriefing, or education to uh, hospital staff around issues of child development, family functioning psychiatric issues in patients, or
2: trauma-informed
0: care.
1: Thank you so much. And uh, Dr. Hyde, tell us a little about yourself.
2: Yeah, well, I'm a psychologist here at Providence, and uh, I have the the great opportunity to work with both inpatient and outpatient uh, facilities, uh, the psychiatric units, and sometimes on the medical floors, as well as uh, outpatient here at Providence Psychology Clinic. And, uh so provide a, a wide variety of uh, services uh counseling psychotherapy psychological testing psychological consultation um so it's uh, it's very enjoyable
1: um I you know you, you say it's very enjoyable my next question was what made you want to um you know get into providing mental health counseling and treatment
2: um well it was Probably somewhat of an evolution started years ago, and um you know i I think that even even years ago it was quite evident that that uh, there was a huge need for mental health services and uh, started out working primarily with children and adolescents, and that that work um Provided both challenge, opportunity for reward, and the sense that that uh, one was um, had an opportunity to, to try to make a difference in in our world, and 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 uh, even though as a small segment of of the world, uh, just paying attention to uh, what could be done, what what could be done to try to, to make the world a better place, and so. It's, a, it's always a humbling experience to work in this field and really is a privilege that um, um, we need to, to recognize.
1: Catherine, you're shaking your head, nodding, agreeing. Is that what brought you into, into this field as well?
0: Very, very similar. Um, I've always found that I am lit up by both the art and science of relationships and how they impact our emotional and mental health. So I spent the first six years of my career in community mental health, helping uh, children, teens, and families heal from uh, trauma and attachment disorders. And then Dr. Hyde was actually my supervisor in my internship, and he called me back to the hospital about four years ago, where I've had the immense privilege of supporting both families in our inpatient psychiatric unit but most especially our caregivers here at the hospital now in using that art and science of relationship to help all of us kind of find healing and find grounding.
1: Well, thank you both so much for, for the work that you do. And I'm so glad to know that I have the dream team here talking. <laughs> today. Um, you know, I'm trying to make some light out of this because, you know, this has been an unprecedented time and we keep hearing that word unprecedented, but it just really is. Um, but one of the things that's positive that's come out of all of this is that mental health is starting to be taken seriously. Um, so, you know, what are some of the trends that both of you have seen um, during this pandemic with, with when it comes to mental health help and just recognizing it?
2: Katie, you you want to take that first? Sure. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, the
0: positive trends I've noticed is similar to, how you phrase the question, Allie of There seems to be more um, acceptance and embracing that we all have emotional aspects to our identities and all of our emotions are being tugged on this year. So the stigma of I may not be doing emotionally well and I need and deserve professional support around that, the stigma of that seems to be just plummeting in a very, very positive way. So both as an educator and as a therapist, I'm noticing a big increase in reaching out and asking for help from counselors like myself, which I find to be really encouraging both as a community member and as a professional. Um, the other positive trend I'm noticing as a therapist is we are getting more flexible and creative with the ways in which we're willing to offer help. I used to um, spout off against telehealth and I am now a huge believer in it. And I think that has made me a better therapist and I'm guessing my colleagues would agree as well.
1: Dr. Hyde, shake
2: yeah <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I think Katie was right on in both of those things. It really has, this whole pandemic, um, I suppose from every crisis, You know, at the end of a crisis, if if we've managed, if we've managed a crisis correctly, what you find in terms of uh, um, the evolution of a crisis is that at the end of the crisis, you've grown. You have become better as a society, better as an individual, stronger, more capable uh, at the end than you were at the beginning. Now this pandemic is frightening, and it just sounds. Three months ago, I could not have said that, <laughs> because I because as all of us, you know, we deal with this unknown, and and a uh, sense of hopelessness sets in, and we think this is never going to end, and da, da 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 da. But it will end, and we're seeing that. We're seeing that just within the last few weeks, it it is going to end, <laughs> and we know that. The mental health industry will be stronger, I think, as a result of this terrible, terrible crisis, and in in some different ways. I think what Katie is talking about in terms of the stigma plummeting, I think that's a great way to look at this. Uh, We are recognizing that we are all in relationship, and there is this art and science to relationship And we human beings are wired for relationship. We are not wired to be isolated and alone and cut off. And I think we are recognizing that and that therapy is one way of battling isolation and loneliness. Secondly, it is causing us as mental health professionals, like Katie says, to be more flexible. To remove barriers to treatment that have always existed, and uh, virtual therapy is one of those things that will increase, will enhance um, access to treatment. And I, like Katie, was uh, kind of uh, uh, I poo-pooed, you know, this notion of virtual therapy because I oh, it, you got to be in the room with someone, and you know that that. That, that is true, it, it is helpful to be in the room. At times, patients for whatever reasons cannot be in the room, but they benefit greatly from virtual therapy and, and therapists um, are quite um, effective at um, practicing their skill over a computer. And so uh, as, as strange as it sounds, there will be some growth, I think, in the mental health field, and and um, some positive things that come out from this whole tragedy.
1: You both mentioned um, the teletherapy, um, and that you first weren't on board, but then saw the benefits of it. Um, you know. With the exception, you know, obviously, teletherapy helps us reach out to um, to audiences that you might not be able, or to patients, I should say, that you wouldn't normally be able to. But what are some of the other benefits of of using teletherapy?
0: I would say one benefit I had not anticipated but have really enjoyed is being able to have a little more authenticity and vulnerability with my clients when doing teletherapy, both from my end and from my clients' end. Of when I work with younger people, being able to build coping skills when stressed, instead of having them in my office and saying, okay, can you think of something in your home you can use to help you calm down? I say, turn around, go through your house, find something that can help you calm down, bring it back and show me. And so they're does tend to be a little more authenticity with teletherapy that I never realized was an opportunity until I started using it. What do you think, Dr. Hyde?
2: Yeah, I have I have found and and again somewhat surprisingly, I have found that I have a, a, a group of patients in and, and a pretty, pretty wide number that that honestly seem to be more comfortable uh, participating in therapy in the presence of their homes than they did coming into the office and i think uh it's familiar it's safe uh it's it's hard enough to uh to be vulnerable in the midst of therapy um but to have to do that and in a in a place that is strange and cold and and um, office-like uh, that's that for some people that creates a barrier and um, maybe I was not aware of that to the extent where, the, where that was true so for for a good number of patients I'm finding that virtual therapy enhances not distract not detracts but enhances quality of the therapy and i've I've been somewhat surprised by that
1: when, uh, when you have, um, patients coming to you right now during the pandemic, is there one thing that's weighing heavily on them over another that you've noticed? Mm -hmm. Dr. Hyde, you mentioned the isolation, but is it, you know, is it just not being able to see people? Is it not, you know, being able to hug, you know, their loved one? Um,
2: I think it's multiple things, you know, therapists work a lot and, uh, in assisting patients in um, maximizing their coping skills. And one of those coping skills, of course, is always um, socialization. When you think um, of individuals, you know, we know that isolation fuels depression, will always fuel depression, isolation, and, Pandemic, where individuals are cut off from not just family, but you know, all those things that distracted self from one's uh, worries and and uh, uh, conflicts and things that uh, they needed to once in a while run away from. All those things are gone. You Can't go to a movie. Yeah. <clears throat> you can't. You you can't share a meal with a friend at a restaurant. I mean, understandably, we, you know, understandably, we can't do those things. Um, can't go to the gym. Therapists talk on and on about the science, the neuroscience of, uh, exercise and how that assists in brain health. And now we can't go to a gym. And so it's incumbent upon, uh, individuals to find different ways. To exercise, it's incumbent upon therapists to assist them, maybe in finding different ways to exercise. So um, can't go to uh, can't spiritual people can't just go to church. They do go to church. They have to register and uh, and uh, receive a call and say yes they can come because you know there's only 49 people going to be in attendance that day. So it's it's difficult. So all those things that often we took for granted Uh, those things that distract us from our fears, regrets, things that make us sad in the holidays, whatever, um, those are gone. And so um, sense of isolation, sense of uh, uh, fear of the unknown, lack of contact, again, we human beings are wired for relationship. That's the biggest, most powerful part of our brain is that part that's all about feeling and connection with the world around us. And uh and that's that's being challenged in a huge way right now.
1: Um we also know, you know, that changing seasons can you know play with our mental health. Um you know, has the pandemic helped or hindered how we approach normal normal seasonal mood fluctuation?
0: I would say, I will say the obvious. I think it's hindered, um, mainly because when our, our days get shorter, our nights get longer, and things are darker in general, there tends to be a natural bit of a dip in our mood, and with less opportunity to be outside for prolonged periods of time we've built up all of these wonderful rituals and traditions that involve counteracting that dip in mood by being cozier together inside right we have holiday parties we have holiday concerts we have special worship services at this time of year we get together and watch holiday movies with all of our friends and Like Dr. Hyde was saying, naturally, in order to be a good community member and to look after our physical health right now, we have to set aside those typical mood-boosting activities. And what's really crucial right now is to set aside those typical activities, but not to just leave a vacuum. In the same way that we've gotten creative with therapy, we have to get creative with other methods of boosting and maintaining our mood through the winter. Because COVID, it's completely possible for two hard things to be true at once. That in order to keep our community safe, we have to isolate from each other. And our mood is impacted from that isolation, especially in the winter. So we have to take both of those seriously.
1: So, you know, on that subject, you know, what are some ways that we can protect our mental health? Are there steps that you can take to create a plan for it? And what does that
0: mean? Well, I know that Dr. Hyde was mentioning one of the biggest uh, drivers or accelerants of depression is isolation. I would also say a giant accelerant for anxiety is inaction. I'm um, sitting and stewing in what I can't do and remaining immobile is going to drive our mental health down.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so if there's one thing I would recommend anyone do is find ways to get moving, get active. And there's so many different ways you can do that in the midst of these very, very necessary restrictions. Um, and there's a, a giant in my field named Laura Vanderneut Lipsky And she talks about um, mental health, self-care, doing it not as if your life depends on it, but because your life depends on it. Um, Find ways to get moving.
1: Dr. Hyde, did you want to add anything on that?
2: Yeah. Well, I think Katie is absolutely right. Um, I think when when we first went into this, started going into this thing, mental health people would would write about, you know, suggestions to to um, fight off the, the uh, struggles, the emotional struggles that they knew were 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 going to come. And um, I remember reading those and I thought, well, those are somewhat trite. Um, keep a schedule. Um, keep a routine, maintain a routine. Um, maintain a, a lifeline with friends and family those those are trite because don't people do those all the time the answer is no we don't, we don't do those things all the time so so crisis you know people that study crisis and they they talk about you know i i started saying if, if we handle this crisis correctly mental, we're going to find the mental health field grows and 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 becomes better than it was prior to the pandemic. That only happens when people um, embrace what is real and um, neither deny that it hurts, nor just hunker down and pull the covers over the head and wait until it's gone. But they actively pursue a series of, of, uh, of events that will assist them in not just surviving, but growing. So I think that my hope, my hope is that we all become a bit better. As a result of this, we all become a bit better in, in terms of managing our own distress. We all become a little better on, in terms of recognizing the importance of a schedule, recognizing the importance of routine, recognizing the importance of the lifeline, recognizing the importance of self care, and recognize the importance of journaling, keeping track of how we're doing, what we're doing well, what we're not doing well. Invest in growth. and as, And as we come out of this, keep saying that, guys, I have to say that, that we're going to come out of this. I have to say it or else I'll get lost in myself. And uh, so when we come out of this, I think that we have, we, we will find that we, we, we grew emotionally in a, not in just a negative way, but a positive way. And, you know, I say that and So I, like everybody else, have been touched with the tragedy and and, uh, the pain of this pandemic in losing people. So I don't want to discount that at all. I'm not talking about we're going to grow. When I say grow, I I don't want to be misunderstood. This is terrible, awful, horrible, and it's changing lives in countless sorts of ways. In the midst of that rea- that painful reality, I I continue to hold to this belief that in the midst of pain, can come some sort of light and 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 growth and development, and that's a difficult, challenging thing. And, and um, so, I just wanted to make that clear.
1: And I appreciate that, and I think that you know our audience appreciates that as well. And I think you, you know, captured that perfectly for what we're all, you know, all feeling right now. Um, and you know, what I heard in part is that it really starts with the individual, um, and how you, you know, how you handle this. And I, I suspect that we might have parents watching this who, you know, have children who are also going through this. And so Catherine, I, you know, I want to ask you the question, what can we be doing for um, our kids right now who are going through this and you know, how should we be, What should we be looking for in their mental health?
0: Yeah, that was something I was going to add to how is how are all of these very necessary um, restrictions impacting us. And I want to remind all of us who either have been teenagers or are currently teenagers that what we are being required to do is asking teenagers to work against their developmental tasks. A teenager's job is to be building their adult identity. It's to be figuring out who am I apart from my family of origin, which means the healthy things for teenagers to do is to want to spend time with their friends, to want to spend time away from home, to want to be out in the world. And so what we're asking and necessarily asking our teenagers to do, I would say is going to be especially difficult and painful for them. So if there's anything we can do with our teens, it's first, give them a lot of grace. This is a very, very difficult task ahead of them. Second, if you recognize that um, the amount of distress your teen is experiencing feels above and beyond what all of us are experiencing, it's okay to work with them to reach out for some help in the form of counseling or therapy. Third point of four is... Anticipate being a part of some of your teen's therapy, because you're gonna need to know what is helpful, what is hurtful. You're gonna wanna be a part of their healing. Which brings me to point number four of maintaining your connection to and your support of your teen is going to be even more important than the therapy that they do. Therapists like me and like Dr. Hyde, we see our clients for one hour, probably every week. Every other hour of the day, your teen is in your care and your connection to them has such a healing effect. Your relationship with them is going to be crucial. So grace for your team, grace for you. Build your team around you guys. And remember, your connection is just as powerful as anyone
1: else's. Um, I think that, that that brings us into a good segue of what are the other resources that we have available at Providence to be able to assist these families in that, um, you know, in that effort?
2: Well, we have a, a number of behavioral health programs, um, out, both outpatient and inpatient, intensive outpatient, whether it be Providence Psychology or the Rally. I'm sorry, the RISE program or BEST. um, I think most most of those clinics know of other, um, but individuals in in need of mental health care, one of those uh, sites is not able to assist, they can make some recommendations um, where, where folks may call but it's, it's just, you know, that first call is, it's pretty important and, um, and no, no need is, uh, you know, no, no need is unimportant. Every need is important. And and so don't want anybody to think that, that um, um, their needs are not as important as anyone else's. Um and th- this really wasn't doesn't answer your question, but um, you know, Katie was talking about adolescents and children, and 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 uh, you know, and I I remember um, years ago read this uh, study. It talked about what what do what do adolescents fear the most in life? It was uh, invisibility the fear of being invisible? I've been thinking about that a lot for the last few months with this pandemic, and uh, not only in terms of what that means for adolescents, but what that means for all of us. You know, we feel a bit invisible. We feel a bit invisible. It's not just and not just those those are folks that are isolated, totally, which there are many, but it but it's all it's all of us. So. Um, when you walk down a, down a street, everybody's masked up. Might say hello, <laughs> so <laughs> that because they can't see, because the person can't see your smile.
0: Yeah.
2: Might ask how are you. Might look for ways to be kind to a neighbor, to a passerby, to a colleague, to just reach out in kindness. That it's that's that's maybe worth more than therapy, kindness. Years ago, a psychiatric nurse said to me, Dr. Hyde, never underestimate the power of kindness. And at first I thought, well, are you telling me I'm not kind? No, she wasn't (laughs) telling me that. She was letting me know what is true. What is true? That there is tremendous healing power in in acts of kindness. So those are things that we all can do. You don't have to be a therapist to do that. It's
1: Good, I love that. Um, we're getting close to time, but I do wanna just answer the one question that we got in from Facebook. Um, does light therapy help with seasonal changes?
2: Well, there's a lot of evidence, good evidence to suggest, you, yes, it does, yeah. it does help. And I'll tell you a lot of therapists use light therapy because they recognize that it helps their patients.
1: So Amy, light therapy, <laughs> light therapy, be kind and exercise. And
2: <laughs> and- <laughs> yeah.
0: take In that order, yes. Yeah.
1: Dr. Hyde and Catherine, thank you so much for um, for joining our broadcast today and um, for everybody listening and sending in your questions. Uh, to learn more ways about to be well and access free mental health resources and tools, you can visit worktobewell.org and make sure to follow us on social media at Providence on Twitter and at Providence on LinkedIn and Facebook. With that, I wish you a great rest of your day. And again, thank you for joining.